The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray. Father, we, your people here in this place, gather to lift up praise and to offer thanks, to rest in your presence and to enjoy you, to listen to your word openly and publicly proclaimed, to to pray out loud here and even to put it on the internet. We do all this in this place in safety. And today, perhaps, we pause for a minute to remember that that is not the case for your people everywhere. And we say simultaneously, thank you, and Lord, help. We here say thank you because these are privileges that we have that you have granted to us. Certainly, you have worked them providentially. You have made a nation full of laws and certain ways you have worked over time to create the opportunity that we have today. So we say, thank you, that has come from your hand. And it is your, your good intention, it is a taste of what kingdom life is like, the open declaration of your word and the reveling in it, the rejoicing and the resting in your presence. It's right, it's good, thank you. And Lord, help, because your people around the world do not enjoy this privilege but meet even today sometimes in secret at fear of death. We look at the, the requests of just one ministry that serves to heighten this need and put it in our bulletins. We look at those and we think about them and, and in some ways we can understand them but don't really feel them and don't identify with them. We read the scripture and know that you, Lord Jesus, do particularly feel them and identify with them. We recall Paul when he was Saul, and as you interrupted his life to convert him, to save him, you identified personally with the sufferings of the church. You said he was persecuting you. Today, Lord, your church, you are persecuted around the world. We know that you identify with that, and we pray, Lord, help your people. Would you intervene to save, save them from physical calamity? Would you intervene to save them from controlling fear? Would you intervene to, to save them from turning away from you? And would you intervene to save those who persecute them like you saved Saul? You do this as you give faith to your people to bear up faithfully to your name, you save those who would persecute them and see something unique in them, even as they suffer. You save people. So we pray that you would save radical Muslims. We we pray that you would save animists and Buddhists, people of no religious background whatsoever, people who today even are tempted to persecute your people, would you make them your people? Do this as only you can to the praise of your glorious grace. Build your kingdom there in in unlikely ways. Protect your kingdom there that is suffering. Help, Lord. But here today as we sit in this moment in peace. We say thank you and then pray that you would continue your ministry here. That you would open up up the word to us here and and what passage we have before us this morning, Lord, would you take it, the words in it, the truth in it, and would you press press it into our congregation, into our hearts, and move us to follow we, we sit here in a bunch of different places. We're going to come to this passage from a bunch of different backgrounds and, and even a bunch of different mornings. We have 
literally come into this room from different places and from different experiences and need your help. Would you, would you clear away from us obstacle and distraction and enable us to hear your word, to find you, and to walk with you? For that, we need your help. And so we pray along with the psalmist, Lord, open the eyes of our hearts we may behold wonderful things in your law. May clear your word. Spirit of God, would you own this time here now and carry forth the truth of God to the people of God to build up the church of God for the honor of God. Do that now we pray, and we pray in Christ's name. We pray in Christ's name because that's his goal, that the Father be worshiped. So we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to the middle of Luke chapter 11, where we are continuing on with Jesus' teaching about proper response to him. You may recall in verse 28 of this chapter that we saw that the blessed life, the the life of, of blessing, comes to those who hear the word of God and keep it, who hear it and welcome it in, who hear it and embrace it, receive it in obediently in faith. That's the proper response to God's word, to Jesus' teaching. However, verses 29 to 32, which we looked at last week, that's not how the crowds around Jesus are responding, and that's not how people today often respond. People were saying and, and do say, prove it. Show me something. Show me a sign. Give me some evidence that I should follow you. And if you, if you prove it, if you give me some sort of evidence, then I'll consider listening to and embracing your teaching. And Jesus said that God won't play along with that approach. The only thing that God will show us, very often, God's definitive appeal to people is in his message, delivered by a messenger. God's word delivered in in that moment in Christ's preaching. And now for us, that's recorded in the Scriptures for us and delivered to us by the Spirit as we read it or hear it proclaimed. That's what God lifts up before us, before people, like he did Jonah at Nineveh, like he did with Solomon before the Queen of the South. Just like that, but in fact far better because we have a better message and a better messenger, Jesus, the message of Jesus. and how God is at work in him to powerfully save people through Christ's cross. The message of the gospel, far better than what we had before. We have it now. So listening to that and and embracing that, that's where we find the blessed life. Instead of trying to live by sight, we live by hearing that and embracing it in faith rather than by living by sight and looking for a sign or something. That's, That's what was pressed onto us and And it was to us, too. It's the church as well. Even the the larger context clearly is Jesus talking to an audience that's turning away from him. Largely, Jesus' audience in the moment is is one of rejection, but it's spoken to the church, too, because we can also live not listening and looking for God to to show us that that he's present, to prove himself to us before we follow him. So, primarily to a larger audience that's rejecting him, but also to the church. And again, this morning, similarly, Jesus is going to continue to talk about response largely to an audience that isn't responding. But as always, there is a message to us, those who have responded, those who are in the church already, those those who have placed faith in Christ, this is still for us too. In fact, if if I put it all together, I'm going to put this in a summary sentence here this morning where I'm going to go in the three observations that follow Put it like this in a sentence. We must receive in God's shining light if we want to glow. And that message, just put just like that, applies to those who have not yet embraced and those who have already but need to continually embrace Jesus and his message. We must receive in God's shining light if we want to glow. That's where I'm going this morning. I'm going to make three observations. And uh, let me read the passage before I do that. This is from Luke 11, verses 33 to 36. Jesus speaking says, No one, after lighting a lamp, 
puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its ray gives you light. That's the passage this morning. I'm going to make three observations from it, and here's, here's the first one. God has shown forth Christ to the world widely and purposefully. God has shown forth Christ to the world widely and purposefully. Verse 33, we get an expression, a word picture from Jesus that he has used before in other contexts. He used it back in Luke chapter 8, talking about hidden things being known. And he used it over in the Gospel of Matthew in in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about Christians as as witnesses. It's It's a flexible illustration, as a lot of word pictures are. But at its heart, it has a pretty simple, basic meaning about purpose. We all know, to paraphrase it, we all know that a person lights a lamp with the intention of showing light, showing forth light, spreading light to where there at the moment is darkness. That's why a person lights a lamp and then takes action accordingly. So there's nothing about purpose there. He wants to be able to show light so that people can see light and then benefit from it. That's pretty obvious. But why is it here? Well, it's a description, a what, and it's also an explanation of something, a why. So remember the context. Remember the context of the previous passage about God giving to the world a sign, something that can be seen, a message with a messenger. So the ministry and message of Jesus, what's right in our context here, was right before this week. He puts that out there, shown to all the world openly for all to see this sign. It's not like secret messages told in a back room or hidden in a cellar or put under a basket or something hidden from sight. It's big, it's public, it's open. When he healed the mute man, everybody saw it. Previously, when the, the demoniac, the man who was, who was out of his mind, possessed, literally possessed, Jesus heals him and the whole town sees it. It is, it is wide open, public, not hidden. Set up where everybody can see what Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, what he says about himself. They hear his words taught broadly all across the countryside. So in one sense, verse 33 is an image that's describing what God, God is the lamplighter, has done. He is a lamp, Jesus, in his message. He's lit it, and he's showing forth Christ light to all the world in public. But more important than just a description, it's also an explanation. It gives us the why. Why has God done this? Lamplighters, even right in this verse, in this illustration here, lamplighters have an intention. They're about a purpose. So God is about a purpose, and in this case, he's trying to light something that's dark. The world, widely, the world. And not just the world generically like the planet, but specifically people, individuals. Not generally, but specifically. He's about lighting people. This shows up particularly in verse 36. 33 and 36 are like the bookends of the passage. You'll notice the language at the end of 36, a lamp with its rays gives you light, very similar. It kind of comes back around. As we see similar language, we are tipped off that we should think about these things together. He starts somewhere, he goes, and comes back in 36. 
36 gives us the reason, the why, for verse 33's lamplighting. The shining forth of Jesus, the light. Why do that? Why send him and, and set him on a stand, so to speak? Displaying him in front of everybody? Because, verse 36, if a person is full of light, Jesus and his saving message, if a person is full of light, then what? then that person will be wholly bright. Literally, that verse just uses two identical words and flip-flops them. So it, it doesn't, if you just read it, it, in the original it doesn't make a lot of sense, just literally, because it says something like, if you are completely enlightened, then you will be enlightened completely. Sure. What's he trying to get at, though? If you are enlightened completely, then you will be completely enlightened, like when the, the lamp shines its rays upon you. What he's getting at in this flip-flopping of language is, is an internal reality that is like the external reality, but an extension of it. So light shines on you from the outside, the rays of the lamp hitting you, and, and out there all around you is this illumined, enlightened environment. And if it gets inside, then it's the same way inside. Inside of you is this enlightened, illumined, illumined environment, just like on the outside. He shines this light with the intention that it also then come in and you glow. Not just that there'd be something on the outside, but like a candle. Like if you see a candle and you, see, you can't see the wick, the burning wick directly, but the whole thing kind of glows, that, that's kind of how a lot of ancient lamps worked. You couldn't see the, the actual flame, but you could see the, the, the thing was glowing. We have candles. You can see that today. That's God's goal. Not just that the light shine and remain outside, but that it come in and light you up internally. Lit by the big lamp, you might say, we become junior lamps. Burning within, lit within. Having no part dark in us, but being all light inside. And to move away from the metaphor, what does that mean? What God is doing with Jesus is that he's shown him to all of the world. It's just right out there in public and open. They could see it. Everybody in Israel could see it. And often, this is stated in the New Testament, when they meet opposition, the apostles will say, Paul will say, this wasn't done in a corner. I mean, this is like right on the street corner, over and over and over and over and over again. You know, you've seen it all. It's public. It's wide open for the sake of coming in. Jesus has been displayed for the sake of entering in and taking over the inside of a person to come live inside of a person. To light up in you and to make you light too. To make you light also. That's God's goal. The goal of the God of grace because what that means, if he's shining light so that there be light and intends to shine light in here so that there be light in here, what that means is that before that, dark, dark. And God graciously aims to light and light you. Born in darkness, God wants to light you up and make you glow. He wants to bring in light, that is to bring in life into the inside of people who are fallen in sin, trapped in darkness, blind and unable to see. That's why God sent the light that is life to shine into the darkness, to enlighten or to light up the world, to light up particular people. He aspires to have a people. Christian, he's talking about you. And if you're not a Christian yet this morning, this, this is what he could be for you if you become one. He aspires to have a people, to make individual people. Ones 
and as a whole, but inside of individual people, he aspires to fill us with truth. So I'm leaving aside light and trying to explain what light means, what glow means. I'm trying to use different words here. To fill us with truth on the inside within us so that we correctly understand God and God's ways, God's character, his, his heart, what he's about, what he's after, and understanding who God is, then we suddenly, in light of that, we understand something about who we are and what the world is like and what's going on and, and how it is that God has acted to save us, people. We understand the gospel. That is the good news about how this God has acted to save a people like us what he's done in Christ. And so understanding all of that, we are are filled with it beyond just an intellectual sense, but it becomes who we are. So we understand, this is God's aspiration, that we, we think in line with his thoughts and we own them as our own. Those are my thoughts. We we see what God values and those become my values. We see what God loves, and as he works us, fills us with himself, we are so changed that we see what he loves, and we begin to regard it actually as lovely, and we always love that, what, that which we think is lovely. You understand how that works? It's an inter- as this light comes in and changes us, what that is about is God moving in to change us on the inside so that we don't just say, I should value that. I should love that. But we are changed so that I regard that as valuable and that as lovely and that as right and that as wrong and that as holy and desirable and that as abysmal. I actually value, think, see it like that. And then how people are made is what we regard as lovely, we love. What we regard as valuable, we grab hold of and hold on to and don't let go of. He moves in and changes us to make us like Jesus. To think and feel and see and love like Jesus. That's his aim. To make us in the light of the lamp, to make us little lamps. Filled with light. Having no darkness in us at all. That's his goal. To set us apart from the world. To make us holy like he is holy. And if you grab that, it is a marvelous testimony to the grace of God that he would do this. Because what it means, if you back up everything I was talking about, about us being changed and us regarding as valuable what he regards as valuable, what it means is before that, we don't. But we regard as valuable things that are of no value. And we regard as lovely things that are ugly and wrong, and we grab hold of things that lead to our death. That's darkness. That's what we are. God so graciously comes to change that. Not just to tell us to change, but to change it. He shines light out there to show us that's wrong and then pushes it in here so that we actually regard it as wrong. Or to tell us that it's beautiful and lovely and then moves in so that we actually regard it as such. This is the grace of God. It is a testimony to His goodness that He intends to give us such a life. He intends to make a people who truly glow, who are alive. I was talking with somebody recently about being in life, in a position in life, alive. That could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, but what I, what we meant as we were talking about it, is, is alive and sensitive to the beauty that God has put in the world and alive and sensitive to the, the sorrows and, and sensitive to God and his, and his desire to grow us and the sure protection he puts on us and the confidence and the humility, the confidence that we can live 
blessed and safe under a strong hand and, and humble because we know it's not our strong hand. Alive and truly human. That's God's goal. That is awesome. That's a work of the God of grace. He set up Jesus and broadcast him widely, purposefully, so as to press light into us to make us alive inside. Make us little lamps glowing. Of course, though, that does not always happen. Which leads us to the second point. Second observation then. We must be careful about what we focus on and thereby fill ourselves with. We must be careful about what we focus on and thereby fill ourselves with. Or another way you could put this, we are responsible for what we embrace and believe. We are responsible for what we embrace and believe. Verse 34, the analogy of lamp and light changes, or you might say it advances, and it moves from God lighting a lamp, lighting Jesus to shine forth in the world, advances now to consider each person upon whom those rays fall, rays of light fall, and raises the question, how are they going to get in? So if we moved ahead to verse 36. We considered that the ends of the passage and the end goal was that the light be in, that it be filling up and making us glow. But in the middle, it's uh, how does that happen? How does it get in? Well, verse 34, it might happen this way. It might happen in this way. Your eye is the lamp of your body, he says. It's the lamp that shines into your body, into you. Now, he, clearly he's, he's using metaphor. He's using a lot, of, a lot of colorful language. He's continuing to work with the light, so he uses lamp. And in using a light and a lamp, things you can see, naturally he uses eye. And we still talk about the eye as the center of perception. We, we say something like, don't you see about things that we're not actually looking at at all? Don't you see that chocolate is good? No, I don't see that. What I mean is, don't you get it? Don't you perceive that? So he's using sight, and he's using the eye, because he's talking about light, and that matches, and because he's really talking about meeting something, encountering it, interacting with it, and then bringing it into our own self so that it fills us up shapes us and influences us and guides us. That's why he's using eyes as a, a lamp that shines into us. That's what God means to do. He sends out the light and shines it forth so that we'll encounter it and interact with it and bring it in and be filled by it and shaped by it. And that'll happen, verse 34, when your eye is healthy. Literally, when it is sound, when it's right then it will see the light of God as it truly is. Embrace it. Be filled by it. But on the other hand, when the eye is bad, literally evil, it won't see the light of God correctly. But as it meets and encounters other things, evil things, dark things, worldliness, sin, deception, it'll interact with that, embrace that, bring that in, and then that's what will fill us and influence us and direct us and shape our hearts and lives. So there really is a simple point being made here. God has shown forth Christ, but that does not mean that the light of Christ is going to automatically come into every single person. It might, but then, on the other hand, darkness might. And notice, it's one or the other. I anticipate, as, as I talk about this, it's, it's the light of Christ, the message of Christ, and what he has done on the cross to save people and bring them into fellowship and communion under the reign of God or darkness. 
And I imagine that, that in a lot of people's minds, there's like some massive category right in the middle. I'm not a Christian, nor am I a Satan worshiper. I'm somewhere in the middle. I mean, talk about darkness, and you said evil. I'm not evil, but I'm not a Christian. And what I want to point out is that the Bible says there are two categories. Two categories. Light and dark. Christ follower and not. Two categories. Light and dark. Christ follower and not. Now, there are certainly degrees of not. But there's a line, yes or no. And that is a critical line. We can talk about the degrees of, of darkness and the degrees of evil in, in ways that we in English and in our modern culture might use the word evil to describe one thing but not another. We might just say it's bad. Sure. But don't miss the line. Jesus calls people to follow him and says the only other alternative is to not follow me. And it doesn't matter how you don't follow. If you don't, you miss him. And if you don't, you miss the light that is life. And if you don't, you remain in darkness. That's how the Bible puts it to us. There are two alternatives here, light and dark. And so there's a warning to us. We each have a responsibility captured by the exhortation of verse 35. Light or dark, light or dark may fill you, one of the two. Therefore, be careful. And the grammar there is a be careful in a continuing ongoing sense, which is how, remember at the beginning I said this is primarily speaking to an audience that is rejecting Jesus, but it also speaks to us. Here's how it speaks to us also, continually in an ongoing sense. He doesn't mean once and for all, decide, continually be careful. Which has a beginning point, yes, for sure, and a continuing. So be careful in a continuing, ongoing sense. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness, which of course literally doesn't make any sense. Darkness isn't light. What he means is be careful lest the thing that shines into you actually be darkness. Lest what comes in through the lamp be dark, and that be what fill you up. Be careful, be careful, be careful, continuing ongoing sense. Be careful. Don't take in darkness. Fill yourself with darkness, but instead take in light and fill yourself with light. That's the exhortation to us, the, the call to us. We are responsible for that point. Be careful. He doesn't, notice this, he doesn't turn us to look at our eyes which might be expected. If you're reading through this, you might, you might fall along with it. You might think, okay, he just said, if the eye is sound, then light. And if the eye is, is bad, then dark. Well, so take care that your eye be healthy. That would make sense. That's not what he says. He doesn't point us to look at our eyes, and I think there's an important reason for that. I, I ask why, and I think there's a reason. That would send us looking Here. That would send us looking at ourselves, trying to figure out what the condition of my eye is on any given moment, how, how, my, how my receptors are, what condition of ears, what condition of, of tongue I have, what, how I am as a receptor, rather than, as the Bible continually wants to do, call me to look at Christ. Be careful, 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 careful what you're looking at, what you're gazing at. Not, not the gazers. At the object of gaze. Careful. Don't look at the darkness. Don't grab a hold of the darkness. Don't embrace the darkness and bring it in, but look at the light and embrace the light and bring it in. That's the heart of the exhortation in verse 35. Not fix your eyes, but instead look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. 
The light that's shining. This is the one who, though in his very nature, is and was God, but did not count equality with God, something to be grasped and held on to, but, but set aside the, the right and the demand to be worshipped and did what? Track with that through Philippians chapter 2, if you know it, Christian. This is Jesus. He's God. And he said, I am well aware of that, and I will set that, that right aside, and I will descend to become a human being and descend to become not just a king, but to become a servant, and not just a living servant, but a humiliated and murdered servant. And not just murdered with a sword somewhere, but hung up naked on a cross, shamed in front of everybody. I will descend, 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 descend. This is Jesus. Look at him. Why? What's the message? Why did he do that? To take upon himself all of our shame and our deserved death. To bear it himself, to go into the grave and to rise up again, exalted to the right hand of the Father, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess. That is the Lord. This is the one that Paul regarded as the greatest treasure ever. Compared to whom there is no life. Life is beautiful. Life has many good things in it. But compared to whom there is no life. Look at Jesus and look at what the message of Jesus is about. Making us alive again to the glory of God the Father who is a God of great grace. Look at Jesus and do not look at the darkness. We're responsible for what we set our focus on. What you set your focus on will be grabbed hold of and jammed into your heart by you. And carefully, it is not the looking, it is not pick something. I, I picked something. Pick something that fits for you. I picked television. It, watching television is not a problem. Watching television is not the problem. And watching the ad on TV that encourages you towards gluttony or towards hedonism is not the problem. It, there's certainly sin there. That's not the problem, though. The problem is that when that comes into your heart, it pushes out Jesus and any room for any, any perceived need for Jesus. And that's the context here. People setting aside Jesus who have, think they have no need for him. That he doesn't fit in their minds. They have swallowed the darkness. They live in it. They breathe it. It fills them up. They think like the world. There is no such thing as hell. There is no such thing as sin. There is no such thing as condemnation. Or at least if there is, I'm good enough and I pass. And frankly, I find life to be satisfying and good enough if I pursue all the things of the world. They think like the world. Television and advertising and wealth is not the problem. It's thinking like the world that sets aside Jesus and sees no need for him and sees life is found elsewhere. Why is that wrong? Because it kills us to the defamation of the God of glory. We, we, it can't, we, can't be, we can't be Christian or non. We can't be humans who think so smallly, who think just about, if I do that, that's wrong. And that's why I shouldn't do it, because it's wrong. That, that's, a, that's a circle. It's wrong and I shouldn't do it because it kills me to the defamation of the God of glory. We are responsible for what we set our minds and our hearts on, darkness or light. One leads to you alive and aglow and one leads to you dark and dead. Be careful, 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 careful. Whether you're not a Christian, whether you are a Christian, it's the same thing. Now, if you're not a Christian, obviously the call is become one, become one, become one. Trust Christ. He's life. But Christian, it's easy for us to live lapsing, to forget. And the thrust of this ongoing, continual, be careful, reminds us about that. We want to be full of light. We want to be free of darkness. We want to glow. How does that happen? Well, gaze at Christ. Take Him in. And, and for us now, it, it is... Okay, I could, I could pause right here and I could say, this is 
in a sense, like every other point of every other sermon I've ever preached. So I hope this is completely familiar. Because there's no other message from God. And it's not that complicated. We focus on, set our minds on, if I want to use passages that are familiar to us because they're recent, we commune with God through word, end of chapter 10, and prayer, beginning of chapter 11. And that takes time. And what we do is we sit there communing with God in word and in prayer, in moments in the morning, in Sabbath rest, as we walk back and forth throughout the day, all different ways, what we see there is God who has revealed himself to us in the gospel of grace to save and has promised to carry you on, and not just now to save you now, but to save you one day fully forever. There's no other message. That's the message from God by his spirit pressed into us to hear that and embrace it, to keep it as the blessed life. We're responsible for what we set our attention on. And we can't say, I want the blessed life. I'm not going to bother with that. I'm not going to commune with you. I'm not going to give some time and some, and some, some thought to who you are and what you've done to save me as you express it to me in your word and as I meet with you in prayer. I'm not going to do that. Can I please have the blessed life? No. No is the answer. This is what he means to give us and, and he means to give it to us and calls us to be careful therefore lest the light in you be darkness. If you're not careful, the light in you will be darkness. That's the default position. Dark. We slump back towards that Christian. Gaze at Christ. Commune with him. And lastly... Here's the third observation, which is not explicit in the text. For a reason, Jesus is speaking in the context of calling people who are resisting him, of calling them to him and, and trying to press upon them their responsibility. Like I just was doing. Your proper response. That's kind of the theme through these sections here. What you have to do to see the light, to hear the message you must recognize this and, and be careful. But it sits in a context. One that, as we look at it, tells us more. And I think should lead us to some growing combination of humble worship. We do not have independent personal power to change our eyes to see. The part that he skips over in the exhortation and tells us to look at Christ, we do not have independent personal power to change our eyes to see. We cannot see the light by ourselves. We cannot see the sign backing up. We cannot keep the word we cannot break ourselves free from the strong man's house and come walk in newness of life with Jesus. What I'm doing there, if you haven't been here in previous weeks, I'm backing up to the previous passages. Up in verse 21, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe, but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor, which he trusted, and divides his spoil. That's how Jesus explained what he was doing. I'm breaking into the strong man's house and looting it. I'm taking out what he has possession of. The possessions, people, don't break themselves free. Jesus breaks them free. We're not strong enough to break free. We are blind by nature, as 2 Corinthians 4 puts it, blinded by the evil one, unable to see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. That's the way it is for people born dead in sin like all of us. So we know something. A bit by reverse reckoning. 
if you are inclined to be careful and look at the light and see Christ and embrace him once for all and then afterwards carefully day by day, even irregularly, if ever, if you are drawn to him even today as as you hear this, if you are maybe even for the first time saying, yes, I need that and, and are drawn towards it and you see it with, your, with the eyes of your heart, then you know, in looking, kind of looking backwards, that that's the good eye. Which isn't yours by birth. Where did that come from? The Bible says that I, that I am in myself, by myself, blind, but I have now an eye that can see. Where did that come from? So here's the third observation. Only the grace of God can give us eyes to see the light. Which is why I say it's humbling worship. Only the grace of God can give us eyes to see the light. This is the gospel. It's humbling because I can't do it. And it's worship because he does. Christ was not just sent to proclaim a message. You realize if that's all that we had here, Christ proclaiming a message from the outside, kind of shining like a ray of light, hitting me, and then as part of that message, commanding me, take care that you look upon the light and that you embrace it and bring it in, that would fall on deaf ears, or to keep the language constant, fall on blind eyes. And we would not see. The message would be fine. The command would be right and holy. But because of the magnitude of the problem that I am, that you are, by nature, It wouldn't happen, and we wouldn't come alive, we wouldn't glow. So he was not sent just to proclaim a message. That wouldn't have been enough. We are trapped in darkness, we are dead to God, we are alienated from him. And so Christ was sent to be himself confined to darkness. Like we were cut off from God and unable to connect with him, not in communion with him, not walking in the light with him, not filled with him, and not aglow. That's the consequence of separation from God. And Jesus was sent to be so separated. To dwell in darkness himself. To experience alienation himself. as He, hang, he hangs on the cross and he says, My God, why have you forsaken me? The Father has turned his face away from the Son and has said, I don't know you. And the father, as he turns away, the son in darkness says, where are you? I can't see our condition. And he's bound over to the grave and locked up in a tomb. Our deserved consequence. Jesus was sent to do that, not just to tell us, but to become us in darkness, descended and buried, that he would be raised back into the light and ascended into the the glory of the heavenly place where he sits now enthroned, shining, not just a command, but shining power to raise us with him and give us eyes to see. That's where you got eyes that can see. He brought you back to life again and changed you. If you see, it's because Christ gave you eyes and Christ gave you eyes because he himself was sent in your place into the grave, dead and raised back. This is the gospel, which is what makes all of this possible for you, Christian. Humble worship should follow from this. Humble I have before me the requirement of God that I cannot keep. It should should strip us of all this delusion that we are something. I have before me the requirement of God that I cannot keep. 
before me an offer that I cannot reach out and accept and in myself don't even want to my folly and destruction. And worship in that the reason that I want it and have embraced it and the reason that you know it, that you see it, Christian, that you understand what I'm talking about, the only reason is because God himself sent his son to save you. Gaze upon him. Look upon him in worship. Bring him in and contemplate him. Commune with him daily, regularly, continually, carefully, persistently, that he will fill you up and make you glow. Receive in the light of Christ so that you'll glow. Let me pray. Father, you have done a marvelous thing for us. And all I can say to that is thank you. We deserve no such thing. But far more than we asked for or even imagined, you have done and still will do. So thank you for your saving power. Today we gather, we give thanksgiving and our meal later, we'll have time to give thanks for things. And, and there are many things that we can touch on and will touch on and we'll speak out loud and we'll think about and remember. But this is King. You gave us eyes to see the light. A light that was sent by grace in the first place. And you've moved us from darkness into light and made us alive and we'll never know death again. Bless your holy name. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.